This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism podcast. My name is Tom Z. Joining me as always is Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. And Tim, we have a very special guest today. Very happy and excited to be joined by the editor-in-chief of Silver Screen and Roll, Harrison Fagan. How are you doing today, Harrison? You know, I'm I'm doing really good, guys. I'm I appreciate you having me on. This is one of my favorite Lakers podcasts to listen to. And I just I appreciate the way that you guys look at the game in kind of like a different way than a lot of people do with like all the stats and the lineup data. And it it helps inform me and helped me ask more informed questions and sound more intelligent during scrum. So I really appreciate you guys for doing my homework for me sometimes. No problem, man. We really appreciate having you here. I'm going to start off quickly just by asking you kind of like a very simple straight out like what's your read on this team so far are they as good as you expected or completely engaged but they are still dominating teams and like i think that i may have underrated not only just how much better they are than a lot of the teams in the west but also you know uh, like just that every team was kind of being going to be going through some weird basketball and like no one was really going to fully hit the ground running. And so I think that they've been able to get away with maybe a little bit more taking their foot off the gas than I kind of anticipated because thinking that, you know, they had such a short turnaround, all these other teams were going to come out of the gate with, you know, kind of like their heads on fire. And that has not really happened. I think they are going through a lot of the same, like, you know, shortened training camp, whatever, maybe they have more legs, but it hasn't resulted in like better execution and the Lakers are a smarter better you know more talented basketball team and that's winning out so far you know even though they are not really trying for more than like one quarter consecutively in most of these games yeah that that sounds about right and (laughs) thank you for uh for that answer it's it's funny that Frank keeps getting asked that but um yeah that's a good one so I guess my question is uh, what has it been like since we're so analytics focused and X's and O's and stuff? I'm curious what it's like covering this team with this coaching staff as opposed to some of the other ones that with you being on the beat in the past have, you know, with Walton and, and Byron Scott. How has this group been different in terms of communicating with the media or just like the process and whatever you're getting to see in inside? How have how is this group compared and what sets them apart in your eyes? Yeah, you know, honestly, like it, it, it's 
it, it's very different as you know you would kind of expect uh you know from uh, like i i obviously as you mentioned i started out covering the byron scott years and uh, look like i was a critic of him as a coach i was you know all this stuff i still will never forget uh like you know one of my first games covering it or whatever byron scott you know waited after his scrum was done because he could tell that i had a question and waited and like answered it for me it was like he was super kind with the media he just did not enjoy the aspect of like you know, sometimes you have to ask guys questions about lineups or why someone didn't play or whatever. And he took that as you questioning his decision versus just trying to kind of get the explanation for it. Like you were criticizing it versus like just wanting to understand Mm -hmm. the thought process. And so, you know, I think um, like, and then there was Luke Walton, obviously. And like he guarded, like the thing that I will never forget about covering Luke Walton is that he guarded the starting lineup for one of the worst teams in the NBA. Like they were the nuclear codes. Like I'm not convinced, you know, like I'm not convinced that the actual nuclear codes are like kept more secret than Luke Walton kept his starting lineup until 30 minutes before a game when he's mandated to reveal it. It's like, like, dude, like the team is not going to like in this extra 30 minutes, they're not going to go and like watch film on this lineup right. together and put together a whole new scout. Like you can just tell us so that we can tweet it out. It's real. You are not, I promise you, you are not going to catch anyone by surprise. If you, with your decision to start Julius Randall versus Larry Nance, like no one is <laughs> like, no team is going to be like, Oh my God, we have no idea what to do now. Like this, this X factor that you just threw at us. It's uh unthought, but you know, Luke was uh, like, Luke, I think, was, like, I found as far as, like, the X's and O's, like, analytical aspects of it or whatever, I've definitely found that Frank is the most open of the three coaches, like, as you would kind of expect, given his background and kind of being a guy in the film room and, like, you know, like, as someone who came up from the film room, like, it's interesting because Byron and Luke are both, they're very different coaches, but both former players Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, you know, I think they're more likely to buy into the idea that like all this stuff is a little bit more secretive, a little bit more important than it is where Frank coming up from the film room, you you know, he kind of understands that everybody has seen the same stuff on film. And so he, he's obviously not going to say like, here's what we're doing tonight. But if you're asking him about something in the past that they've been doing, as long as it's not like too, too close to like what they're trying to get at or or whatever, he's kind of more likely to outline his decision-making. Like an example of this the other day, I asked them about that lineup that you guys, you know, kind of brought to my attention. I think someone called it the lineup of meh uh, mm-hmm. instead of uh, the lineup of death. I don't know if you guys- <laughs> that, that was that, that, that was me. Yeah, I'll take yeah, that. that. I'll take that. that. <laughs> you should ask and see what Frank thinks um, about that name. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to do that because I don't know if you guys saw the video. He looked like he wanted to stab me when I asked about that lineup. Um, but, you know, he was very candid. He said it's not an ideal lineup. We're trying to get guys playing time. We're trying to, you know, force your – we're trying to kind of get some guys in there, get them the playing time that they deserve to make an impact. And, like, we're monitoring, but we're well aware of how that lineup looks, basically. Whereas, you know, I feel like in past years, like, it would have been – because basically the way that I phrased it was, is there something that you were trying to get out of that lineup but you like you know in theory about it that you know it hasn't shown through yet in the numbers mm-hmm. in the small sample size or something that you are hoping that they can accomplish for you and a lot of coaches would just be like yeah you know I like their length I like their switchability da, 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 da. but like as you guys have pointed out and as we've seen the Lakers are not doing that with that lineup and so yeah. like I appreciate kind of his candor on a lot of this stuff where you know if you ask him about a play that they're running or a specific you know play type or a lineup or whatever like in jet I would say 95% of the time he is very open about it even if he doesn't always enjoy being asked about it he's very candid thank you 
I really appreciate that answer. Yeah, that's great because it's a lot about the basketball too. I feel like with all these questions and, and coaches, you know, if you talk straight basketball with them, they're a lot more receptive. I mean, I've never done it. It just seems like their demeanor. And so, well, not always. I will say not always because sometimes they do feel like you're trying to get at trade secrets again, that like people apparently wouldn't have noticed on film. And so I think sometimes they like the kind of like more like, like, do you think Anthony Davis needs to play? tougher inside like type questions or whatever like stuff that they can more easily like just kind of answer in generalities at times but like frank i I will say is more open to the basketball stuff unless it comes to like specifics about the team team's inner workings like he never wants to talk about a conversation that he had with a guy or like something that he said to guys um and he in general like has been pretty loath to like even admit publicly what various coaches do and what they're responsible for. Like I was kind of, you know, blown away the other night when he just volunteered that, you know, like coaches that have worked for other teams, he generally puts them on the scout for that team and whatever, just because it's it's been so different from how he's approached this stuff in the past where he just doesn't, he just says, you know, every assistant does a little bit of everything type thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, no, I appreciate that perspective still though. But um, so for me, I want to ask you with this, crazy awful year we've all experienced right one of the things we cover is is the basketball on the court it's easy for us to break down like what that play is you know what the success of this lineup is all the data all the schemes but what i really appreciate about you is your perspective on the interpersonal relationships and the stories that come from within a locker room so how has this awful uh, adjustment from Zoom calls from pre and post game changed your job and in, in covering the interpersonal relationships? And has it been harder for you? Is it easier with uh, with the access and more consistent, maybe more convenient is a better way to phrase it than easier. But what's this whole kind of development been like for someone like you? Yeah, well, first of all, like not that you're implying this, but I just want to make it clear in my answer so that it doesn't sound like media guy complaints or something like I understand that there's mm-hmm. a pandemic going on. Like I actually, I, I'm not going to say who, but I got pushback from some reporters when the whole like, remember when all this was first starting to hit and the NBA's Mm -hmm. like solution was like, well, we're not going to allow reporters in the locker room. And it's like, Oh, well, okay. That's going to stop the pandemic. Good job guys. You figured it out. Uh, Like it's never going to get into lot, but there was like a week there where that was kind of their solution. They're like, all right, no more locker room access. All right. Germs are out. We did it. Uh, And like I tweeted, I was like, honestly, like, I, I mean, I think that this is a little ridiculous to imply that like, reporters are the only people that they can get germs from but I also like if this is part of their solution in the end like I don't really disagree with it like you know I you guys haven't been inside these scrums or whatever but you're like literally on top of people when there's a pan I mean yeah. people weren't taking it super seriously yet but me as a card-carrying germaphobe I was terrified of this thing I had already stopped going to uh yeah. you know like these like reporting things or whatever because like I didn't want to catch it as it was starting to invade the U.S. or whatever yeah. so like I I say all this to preface basically that I completely understand why we have less access now, why it is done over Zoom, why we are not going to get to like talk to guys in person, all of that stuff. With all of those caveats noted though, it definitely does make the job harder. Like especially for someone who is, you know, I'll say lower on the medium to a media totem pole like I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I am, you know, if we're there in person or something and I really, really have a question for LeBron or AD, like – 
generally after games, it's almost impossible because like the, you know, how it works is like media relations, let the, lets the beat reporters in, they get to circle around those guys, you know, like the chosen few. And then, you know, it's like a free for all to get in and like scraps. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And try and get in this giant huddle thing. So after games is pretty much shot regardless. Um, but during practices, like, I can try and like, if I have a specific question for those guys, or I have a question for someone, like I can keep yelling until eventually I can talk over someone and like get a question in there. Whereas like on zoom, you are basically relying on being one of the preferred reporters that they want to call on essentially. And uh, like, for me, I understand where I rank and that is not always where I am, but like, you know, the difference is like in the past, like there was a, there's a story I wrote, like, I guess it was probably like two years ago now on like Isak Bonga, who also, you know, just as a side note, never corrected me when I called him Isaac and like uh, did not let uh, anyone know that his name is pronounced Isak until he was with the Wizards. There were Lakers people that did not know that that's how he pronounced it until after he was traded. Um, but feels bad. Yeah. Yeah. I felt really bad. Uh, and that, especially because I was probably one of his first NBA interviews and he's like, wow, this guy's kind of a jerk. Um, but no, I mean, we we got a lot. We got along great. And, you know, I, I wrote a fun feature on him. But one of the things I was able to do for that was I was able to get Lance Stevenson, who he had mentioned had kind of taken him under his wing, was a guy that was kind of in his ear about like staying with it, putting in the right habits, whatever, which I know is not what people think of Lance Stevenson as. But because he told me that I was able to say like, hey, can I get like five minutes with Lance after practice or something like I just have a couple very specific questions about Isak. I don't want to blow up a scrum with it. Like nobody is trying to have their time taken with this. And like, so, Mm. you know, I was able to get him off to the side. That kind of stuff can't happen anymore. And not that I'm like, I'm not someone whose job, like I don't solely rely on access. A lot of what I do is writing up stuff that other people ask about. Like I am not the like strongest interviewer in the world. That's not where my, like I know where my strengths lie and that's not it. But um, so it hasn't like, it probably hasn't hurt me as much as it's hurt like a lot of beat reports and a lot of like kind of access merchants and people like that but it definitely does affect you and it does affect your ability to either ask about like you know specific basketball stuff that I want to ask about like yesterday during pregame I had a question for Frank wasn't able to get it to him um and like or you know getting guys off to the side or things like that is like a lot more difficult and again understandably so there are so many restrictions now these guys have so much going on like they don't have time to like just make a phone call after practice or whatever they're taking care of their families they're you know doing a zoom school like I totally get it but it has definitely changed the job that's good insight I didn't realize that on the zoom calls it wasn't just allotted like all right this is the list of everybody here. You're each going to like get a question somewhat evenly. No, see, that's how you do it. Like you'd have like a full like <laughs> plan or whatever, like, you know, like they're just, yeah, they're just like, who, who, who wants to raise, you use the raise hand function and you know, they c- call on you if you're going to get called on basically. Wow. So do you come to every one of those with questions and then try to get them in or sometimes you just go to listen? Yeah, sometimes I just go to lit. I would say probably, honestly, this year, like I would say like probably 80% of the time I've just been going to listen. Like I, I, I mean, part of it is like, you know, just I'm not judging anyone who does have like a bunch of questions for guys or whatever, but like, especially this year, like if I don't ha- feel like I have something like really important to ask them, like I just don't want to use the time, mm-hmm. like to be honest. And I don't know if that makes me a bad reporter, but like, it's just, there's so much going on for all of us in the world right now. Like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily, number one, I don't always have time to like formulate questions and specific story angles and whatever that I'm doing. And number two, like sometimes, you know, if you know, you're most likely not going to get called on, like your brain doesn't 
doesn't automatically go to that place of like, what are 20 questions that I can ask these yep. guys? Like, if you're not going to get the pass when you cut, you're not going to cut as often. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's, that's exactly. exactly. That, that, that is the most, that is the most you way that you could <laughs> analogize that. Like, <laughs> We just said that about LeBron cutting off of AD and out like last night mm. on the stream, you know, we two games in a row. A, uh, AD has found LeBron on those cuts when he gets double teamed and LeBron's at this massive dunk. And I was like, we don't see that last year because LeBron just wasn't cutting because he's not going to cut if he doesn't get the ball. Well, also, LeBron knew. Yeah, th that's the part is LeBron knew that AD wasn't going to see him last year. This year, he'll yeah, actually see him. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, uh, and, and if you ever, hey, if you ever need to source any questions, we'd be happy to give you some very X's and O's. No, I'll just give you guys my Zoom login. I'll let you go in, and they'll, they'll be like Harrison, and you know it'll just be uh, you know Cranjus or Tom jumping in on the on the. Uh, I'll find a fedora. Like, we'll make it work. <laughs> <laughs> to grow a beard out a little bit but uh yeah exactly honestly like look you could just you could just turn the camera off try and do your best impression of my voice we could we can make this happen for anyone in lakers <laughs> pr listening to this i'm not serious i promise uh, yeah just all kidding. right so speaking of, of maybe not being serious so i have a question <laughs> just because you know we love to get to know the guys more and, and watching stuff on film especially when we're like streaming games like with the, without the audio like you don't get as much the personality of guys as who people like you in your position are, are able to glean more insight into so i have a very unserious question let's have a little bit of fun we're in a pandemic world sometimes you have to do zoom parties instead of real parties and we're going to do a zoom dinner party all right and my prompt here is we need – Tom's already shaking his head. I need – of the, the Lakers roster and maybe coaching staff as well. We can throw them in there. If we had someone who was going to pick our meal that we're going to cook, I, I need them to – I need a, a player for that. I need somebody who's going to cook the meal. I need somebody who's going to pick the music and the ambiance and then uh, someone to, to pick a little theme to it. Maybe it's going to be, I don't know. It's I'm thinking now it's like a frat party of like, oh, we're going to wear jerseys today or I don't know who, whoever's creative there. Tom's Tom's not happy with this question at all at all. But um, he's looking like Frank when, uh, when you ask the question. Not even. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? But this is this yeah. Is I, th I think from... I get what you're saying. So we basically, I need someone to pick the food. I need someone to kind of pick the like the music, the mood, the theme of the night, whatever, organize it, and I need someone to cook essentially. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like if I'm picking someone to organize it or whatever, I'm picking like the Lakers and possibly NBA friendship MVP of uh, Quinn Cook, like the heir to the Jarrett Jack throne of just like the guy that is like, I, I think like half the league describes as their best friend. And like, you know, like we, we all know that person like in our group that everyone thinks is their best friend. And you're always like, you're not really sure who's their best friend, but like, you know, they're everyone's best friend <laughs> because they're so liked and like, um, that's Quinn for sure. So like if I'm having someone organize the party, I'm like picking like the vibes king of the NBA, like just the guy that is apparently like so agreeable and kind and nice that like literally every single NBA player like uh, like refers to him as a brother or knows Quinn Cook or like, you know, wants to see him succeed. I swear like, you know, when he hits threes, you can like half see the opposing team bench like celebrating and excited, like awesome. uh, just like a very, very well-liked guy. And just like, I, I think, you know, he's the one that organized the lakers madden tournament whatever like very into it's ah. it's either him or duds that i'm picking to like organize this thing but yeah. i i feel like jared dudley gets a lot of love for that stuff already so i'm going quinn just to give him like a little bit of credit like i love it and then um i love that you know like i don't like i think as far as like picking the food and stuff like that like 
I, I'm going to go LeBron. Like, I feel like you got to yeah, go with the guy be. that yeah. has, you know, like the access to the best restaurants, the best chefs can probably get, like, not just like order takeout or whatever. Like this guy can probably get that red chef, like within 30 <laughs> minutes to like come over and prepare the meal. So like, I'm going LeBron for that. I feel like there's almost no other clear choice there, uh, especially because so many of these guys are just like typical 20 year olds that eat whatever. And like LeBron seems to have like, a fairly refined palette at this point, mm-hmm. given, you know, what he talks about, the wine bottles he tweets out and whatever. You could see Kuz kind of trying to be that, but, you know, Kuz is what, like 24, 25, 26 years old? Like, you know, he's not, like, that's not someone I want choosing all of the food for, like, a nice dinner party if that's what we're trying to have. Mm-hmm. So I'm going with LeBron. And then for Chef, like, I honestly, I have no evidence of this whatsoever, but uh, like, I don't know if it's just that he's Spanish and just like the accent or whatever, but I'm going Marc Gasol, like for the, like, I feel like Marc Gasol just like looks and talks like he would know how to cook. And if he can't, then I guess, you know, maybe this is just like my, uh, you know, like American centrism showing or whatever that I'm just assuming because he's Spanish, he's a great cook, but he just like, he just seems like a guy that, and I'm pretty sure that like this has been referenced before. He's been on some show talking about cooking or whatever i don't know if he did serge Ibaka's show or whatever but you know I, i'm i'm honestly i'm going i'm trusting mark with that like uh, for lack of you know not i'm definitely not trusting vogel with that like this is a guy who's admitted that his wife does like 90 percent of the stuff around the house and it's like <laughs> a true soldier with that like like frank if it was frank vogel we'd probably have like you know like lean cuisines micro or like frozen pizza or something <laughs> like that like Oh, that's great. Oh, good stuff, man. All right. So I'm going to keep my question a little on the lighter ends and I'm sure eventually, you know, we'll talk about basketball, but, um, Harrison, what is your, what is your greatest Lakers exceptionalism take? Now this could be anything superlative wise about any player or thing in Lakers history, right? So greatest role player, you know, greatest name. So what's your Lakers exceptionalism take? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I'm sure you will have something off the cuff here. Well, I mean, uh, like just for this year, like I I honestly, I don't even know if this is a hot take, but I think this team almost might be too good for their own good. Like I'm starting to worry that like they're, uh, you know, not, not that they're not going to be able to flip the switch or whatever, but that it might just take a little bit longer than you'd think and that it might take a little bit longer to figure out rotations just because they have like almost an embarrassment of choices uh you know on that front and you know as far as like historical like lakers exceptionalism take like like I think like I have to go with, you know, given the week that this is and like we don't need to go down like a sad path or whatever. But like I honestly think that like, you know, Kobe Bryant is like has somehow become one of the most historically underrated players, Uh, you know, just obviously now we don't even talk about him in like basketball terms, but I'm talking about in terms of the basketball discussions when people do have, when they rank guys, whatever. Like, I think that because he ripped so many like people that are covering the league now, so many people that talk about the league now that he destroyed their favorite teams. Like, I just think that there's become this tendency to almost underrate Kobe. And, you know, this is something that like Pete, like your film room talks about a lot. Is like, if you go to guys from that era and you ask them about the hardest player to guard, the answer is like 95% Kobe. And like, I understand, you know, partially, like we all probably understand why that is. It's like, he had the most moves. He was the most difficult to guard. It didn't mean that he always took the most 
you know, efficient shot, mm-hmm. but like he could get off basically any shot against any defense that you were playing. And like, you know, sometimes he's going to miss those, but like you're going to remember that he broke your ankles on the way to go do it and stuff like that. And that you couldn't stay with him or how many times he baited you in cheap little fouls, like with, you know, with his like 37th head fake and finally got you up in the air. Like, you know, and I think that Kobe has somehow become like almost underrated as a basketball player and like especially in I'm not talking about among Lakers fans I know Lakers fans obviously properly appreciate him but I I think in the national discourse like you know I know that national fans think that he's overrated and whatever but I honestly think that he's somehow become underrated in these like top 10 discussions like I'm sorry like Tim I I don't know if this is a lukewarm take or whatever but like Tim Duncan is not a better basketball player than Kobe Bryant you know like yeah no, I think that's a great one. I, I don't know. This is like, this is where a Lakers exceptionalism becomes, you know, so so big and swells in my heart is 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 heavy about Kobe. But just I I think about Kobe Bryant as the most skilled basketball player of all time. And skill, what I mean by that, that's probably a good way to put it. Yeah, like he he has every move. He understands what it does and where it came from. You know what I mean? Every single move, he understands the history of it when to use it, why to use it, you know, and to me, he's a walking basketball encyclopedia. And while LeBron, you know, exemplifies this like insane, like eidetic memory about plays in another genius way about basketball, skill wise, he doesn't hold a candle to all the moves and all the tricks in the bag that Kobe had. Well, cause he doesn't and have that's to, how right? I remember like, he Kobe. has like all yeah. these like athleticism advantages. And, and this is not to underrate Le- LeBron is obviously an incredibly skilled course, player or whatever, but he yeah. didn't like, you know, he's bigger. He's like, he didn't have to go to as many things in his bag to be able to get shots off. Like Kobe did, like Kobe did, uh, you know, throughout his career and things like that. I think that's a great yeah. way to put it. And it's like, like you mentioned with the memory thing, like, yeah, he didn't show it off by like, remember instant recall of a play that happened like you know four weeks ago or whatever in the third quarter of a game and stuff like that but you know you could tell that every single move that he made every single shot he took he knew exactly what that was going to do to the defense whether it was you know taking a shot because it set pow up for an offensive rebound if he missed and like stuff like that like i think he was ahead of his time in a lot of aspects like that yeah just technical mastery and i'd liken it to so i i with my old roommate we went to this like karate dojo studio thing once and we went to two there were two <laughs> sessions he he knew the, like the, the the guy who was running the thing so they let us in for free the first session was just like some boxing stuff and like you know learning how to punch and it was like simple and i was like all right like this looks cool and all of that and then we went to jujitsu and it, they were like describing it as like chess with your bodies and it was just so complicated and it was like all right if you even move this way i know i have this move and it was just it was way over my head i couldn't even begin to understand it from watching afar but when somebody breaks it down for you you're like wow like there's so much that goes into this and you're making so many minute decisions and it's not as much like strength is still important and brute force is important athleticism is important but that mental aspect of it technically being sound and knowing if you do this i'm going to take that away um is just the most granular form of the like read and react sort of x's and o's stuff that we talk about on a bigger picture level and i don't know you know tim 
Tim, when you showed up to Vegas Summer League and I said that you looked like an 80s movie villain, like, like were, you, were you in the Cobra Kai? Like, what is, like, what is this story? Cobra Kai I was getting my ass kicked. To, by, the first session was actually children. We showed up, me, like, in my early 20s with children, and they were beating the hell out of us. Um, so <laughs> by no means. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> oh, man. Well, <clears throat> It's definitely, I, you know, this week has crept up, I think, on all of us. And I don't feel like talking too, too much about it other than, you know, Kobe's love, just infectious love of basketball influenced us all. And whether we knew it uh, right away, but watching him on the court, watching his dedication and passion just, you know, emboldened me to fall in love with the things that I love even more and, and dedicate myself to them and and that's the completionist way that kobe has taught us all to dedicate ourselves to the thing that matters the most to us and, and i think that is his most important legacy off the basketball court uh inspiring people to be as good as they can be but um i'm gonna change subjects otherwise i'm gonna you know lose my shit so <laughs> moving on again uh harrison what do you think if this team doesn't go to the finals, at least what is there a path this season that you say, what's the most likely reason this doesn't all come together the way they think it might. I mean, honestly, like I think it's pretty much injuries. Like I'm not sure that anything yeah. other than like, you know, and, and I don't even mean like necessarily like, like a long-term, like, you know, like AD LeBron, whoever, like somebody out for the season or whatever. Like, I don't necessarily just mean that. I mean, like, you know, like an injury at the wrong time, like a sprained ankle at the wrong time can turn a playoff series. Like, you know, I, for I sure. stuff like that, like, unless you're LeBron and you can just like tie your shoes and heal any sprained ankle, like ever. And uh, like, uh, not every player has that magical power. And so like, you know, like we saw in the finals last year when AD went down and like really messed up his foot, like, you know, that series was probably a lot closer to turning than people, you know, really want to admit in retrospect or whatever. I believe that was game five when he really heard it and they ended up losing mm -hmm. that night. And, you know, like there was like, I'm not going to say that I was nervous or whatever going into game six, like number one, because like, you know, even though I, I still have like my love for the Lakers that I grew up with and whatever, now that I cover them, it's less like, you know, intense, like game to game, whatever. But look, like I was rooting for them to win that title. I don't, I don't feel like this is a secret. Um, but like, I, I wasn't like worried going into game six, but you know, if AD wasn't healthy, like they could have been in trouble at some point during that series. And like, that kind of shows that no matter, like they were way better than that heat team. I, and like that showed in the final result and what I like, they should have won in five games basically, and probably would yeah. have had AD knock gotten hurt earlier in that game but like that just shows like that extended the series all of a sudden like if the heat come out with any energy whatsoever in game six like maybe you're facing in game seven and then that's like a scary proposition and again i'm not trying to say that the lakers could have lost that series they clearly were the better team but like it just goes to show that like if you have an ankle injury at the wrong time to the wrong guy like that can really kind of impact and you know change the course of a playoff run or something so mm -hmm. uh, but like beyond that i'm not really sure that i see like i just don't see the team that's stopping that's beating this team four times in seven games yeah, I, I think it would need to take like an atmosphere where a team is going at like Marcus all in isolation over and over. And it's like, all right, well, we can't play him now the same way we, we had to deal with Dwight and JaVale in the past. Um, and then I don't know, we, we would have to be 
massively outcoached, I think. And I don't think the Lakers staff is going to be outcoached that bad or I, yeah. I don't know. It's I'm trying to find ways where it's like, all right, well, Harrell in the past has been poor in the playoffs, but in this environment, given his role, it, it should be better. Um, I don't know. I, I think if you need to shorten the rotation or I think a team like Brooklyn could be challenging if they get creative enough defensively and then offensively, they're just able to pick matchups over and over and over again. They're a terrifying offensive team, but the thing is, is they are not even remotely scary on the defensive end right now. Like, you know, like uh, what did, uh, what did Bam Adebayo put up on them last night? Like 37 or something? 40. Like 40. Yeah. yeah. It was 40. Yeah. Like, I mean, they just have like I, uh, DeAndre Jordan, speaking of friendship MVPs, like, you know, uh, apparently <laughs> like got, got the undisputed starting center role, got them to clear out the whole rotation. So Steve Nash has no choice, but to play him like they, they have, guys where maybe they could get they could be better defensively than they are right now but i'm not sure how much better and like that's going to be a problem when you're having to guard lebron and ad on the other end and like they're able to get some stops with this lineup that we have and so or that the lakers have and so like yeah i mean like you mentioned the gasol thing like yeah maybe they play him off the floor but then like it's like okay like anthony davis is the center now like what are you going to like, what are you going to yep. do? I, I don't know. Like, I'm just not sure that I see the, like there are teams that could play competitively with them, but I just, right now, I don't see the team that beats them four times in seven games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with LeBron playing a career low in minutes per game, I, I think he's still there. He was a couple games so. ago. Yeah. I, I'm anticipating even they may finish first. They may finish fourth. I think they have a lot of room for growth within the regular season. And yet we're still seeing them kick teams butts. And like in that game against Chicago, like the, the final score wasn't indicative of how much in control LA was that whole time. And they doubled up on them. And assuming first this half, continues, that was like it was, yeah. Yeah. It's assuming that continues and, and we see more garbage time in the first half. Uh, I like think the odds of somebody getting injured are lessened a little bit. And the odds that LeBron and AD and those guys have their legs and are more rested than in the past is is higher than it otherwise would be if this team wasn't playing so well and we've talked a bunch about how there are little things here and there they can improve and yet they're still first in net rating best defense by a good bit and close to one of the top couple offenses so yeah it's this team should if they don't make the finals or if they don't win the finals I would certainly be disappointed and it might take a suspension or some injuries or, or something, I would certainly be shocked because I think they're much better than they were last year or they have the, pen- the potential to be. Yeah, and something to watch for, like to that point of them having room to grow and whatever, Frank was talking last night about Anthony Davis and kind of his self-critiques and whatever. And like after that game, you know, he obviously really asserted himself, especially in the first half with like, I think it was 26 points by halftime. And uh, like they're... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Frank basically admitted that they've been kind of not in, they've been not utilizing him as much or using him as a go-to as much because they're trying to get other guys comfortable, trying to whatever. And, you know, he said they've targeted this road trip as a time for AD to really start to assert himself. And he felt like through two games, like he had done a better job of that. Obviously against the Bucks, it did not result in his like best game, but Frank felt like he was more aggressive in that game. And like, I guess felt the same way last night, understandably. So, I mean, we'll see how that goes as this road trip continues but that's something to watch for for sure all right good stuff let's take a quick break and uh we'll come back and we'll preview uh some of the games coming up this week for the lakers sugar ray leonard roberto duran marvelous marvin Hagler, and thomas hearns legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history relive their decade of dominance in the new showtime sports documentary the kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Okay, now, Lakers actually have a pretty busy week here uh, finishing out this uh, this seven-game road trip. So this first game is going to be uh, Monday against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, Tim, surprisingly, the Cavs have looked pretty good this season uh, at eight and seven so far, much better than most people think. I think they have a differential of negative 2.2, but they are a fifth in defense at 106.8 and 29th in offense at 104.7. So uh, I guess if you guys have seen any Cleveland or whoever would like to jump in, I watched a little bit. They have this super strange roster of are we going to play three guards and they're in like Chetty Osman or are we going to play Drummond, Allen, Nance, McGee? It's a, it's like pick your extreme, you know? So in weird ways, they might be able to, to give this Lakers team trouble on the defensive end at least. But do you think that they have any kind of shot at, at trapping the Lakers uh, into a trap game here on the road? Defensively, they're good. Uh, They have a lot of rim protection. They will play zone a lot, actually. Not like big picture. It's only maybe like 15, 20% of their defensive possessions, but it's more than almost any other team in the league so far. And it's, I had to watch so much film on it because it looks like there's so much chaos going on. I couldn't tell what it was initially. I think it's like a matchup 2-3 zone. So it's not the most traditional thing. At points in time, it doesn't seem like they know what's going on, which makes it harder to figure out what's what's happening. I think if the Lakers approach that game not game planning on how to attack that, you might get some turnovers and run outs the other way. I think leaning on LeBron and Gasol as passers with guys cutting around would be a good way to attack that defense. The fact that they do a lot of off-ball switching within that uh, means we might be able to get like some mismatches for AD down low. Um so that's something to keep an eye out for. They drop a lot. They play a lot of ice coverage. Um, they have those shot blockers. Nance, Drummond, McGee, now Jared Allen. Like They have some big guys that can defend the rim. Uh, they have some weaker defensive guards. Um, so I, I think LA will be okay. Uh, offensively for Cleveland, they're pretty weak. The one guy to watch out for is Colin Sexton, who has taken a good jump this year. I think one area he's really improved his game is in ball screens. Um, he's always been good at finishing at the rim, getting to the rim, but teams would go under his ball screens and really lower the volume of him using his biggest strength. He had a really good fastball, but no curveball, no changeup. So teams would sit on that pitch. Um, this year he's gotten much smarter. So when teams go under those, 
those ball screens, he'll either flip it and, and just keep going back and forth until he finally gets you to go over. Or what he'll do is not like running into a pull-up three, but if you go under, he'll calmly step back, take his time. His big man will kind of turn his angle. So instead of a side-to-side screen, it's kind of he's a wall between the, de- the defense and the shooter. And then Sexton will take an under-control three-pointer, and he's been good at those this year. So he's the one guy that you just can't let him go off. Um, if you want to switch those ball screens or double team those ball screens, I, I think LA has a lot of options. I wouldn't be surprised if they enter this game with the normal catch hedges like we've seen from them. I don't fear a lot of the other players on this roster. So I don't know. It, they have to really muck it up on defense, try to get some runouts, and hope Sexton can go off to win this matchup. But LA should be pretty good. Uh, one thing to watch out for on defense from Cleveland is they do send a lot of help on isolations and in the post. So we've been talking about this the past couple streams and pods. If LA's stagnant, standing around, and they let their guys get double teamed without taking advantage of the fact they have a numbers advantage off ball, we're going to let Cleveland get away with more than they should uh, with the Lakers attacking in the post or in ISO. But as long as LA's, just like we talked about with LeBron cutting down the lane, we've seen two games in a row. When that help comes from the top side, cut and you'll be open. Um, just doing those little simple, like read and react sorts of offensive principle based motion should put LA in pretty good shape. So as long as you don't sleepwalk through this one, have a good game plan. LA should be in pretty good shape. Damn. Does Frank have you doing the scout? Like (laughs) that was a, that was a lot about, that was like more X's and O's talk about Cleveland than I think I've heard on any other podcast. Like it's just uh, another day for Tim, uh, the data man. Uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Data on our own stream. It's great. A uh, couple other quick caveats for you, Harrison, just to give you context for how this team plays, how the Cleveland plays, because I haven't watched a ton of them, but you know, if you look at the right stats, it kind of gives you a good picture. So they shoot the second fewest uh, in respect to percentage three-pointers in the league. They are 29th percent... Uh, excuse me, 29th in the league at the percentage of their shots from behind the three. So they don't take as many threes as most teams, but they are third in the league at 40.7% of their shots at the rim. Do you think the Lakers still might be vulnerable uh, to some teams with maybe young guards? They've always been killed by those quick, speedy guys, right? Who can get to the rim. Do you think that's kind of something that they might have to shore up on the perimeter to to prevent? Or how do you think their rim protection's been this year in comparison to last? Yeah, so I, I think it's interesting because, like, that's the one thing with this team where, like, if anyone, um, you know, like, like, if you're going to complain on Twitter, you're going to read your mentions and you're going to see the complaints. Like it's going to be about generally it's about Marcus all, you know, we need JaVale back. We need Dwight back. Like all this stuff. Because, oh, he's slow. Yeah. Oh, he's my, slow. Blah. my theory on this is just like, I don't know that the Lakers defense is necessarily like, I, I mean, I know they've played a weak schedule so far for the most part. Like, you know, they have had, obviously they beat the bucks. That was a good win. I'm not disparaging them, whatever, but like they have not played like the best teams yet. And so maybe that's somewhat propping up the defensive metrics, but, like to me I just think that this is a defense that does it differently and you guys can probably speak to this better than I do from tape and data and all that stuff but like I think that they're like pretty much like they're they're right around where they were last year in terms of like percentage of they're allowing at the rim right like it just looks different like Marcus Gasol isn't swatting you know shots into the like seventh row or whatever and you know like it doesn't look 
dominant and physically imposing and like they aren't getting steals as much and like runouts and stuff like that or just ripping the ball from guys or blocking shots at the you know all that stuff like I just think that it looks different but to be honest I don't know that it's been less effective and the thing to me just like I test wise all, all I've really watched of Cleveland is uh, highlights from their two games against the Nets. And, you know, my uh, like entire experience with them is just I've been tweeting the this is going to be fun cover every time the Nets lose. Uh, and just that. And like, it's funny because they're like, I would say 90 percent of people don't get what I'm doing and they just reply. They're like, oh, that was not fun. Spoiler alert. And it's like, that's not what I'm not what I'm talking about. Um, and. But yeah, so like, I think that the Lakers defensively, it seems like when a team really only has one threat, they have really kind of almost taken like a sick kind of joy in like strangling that option so that like these other teams have to try and figure something else out and generally like, like you know, almost enjoy watching them panic uh, as they try to do so. And, you know, like with the way that you're talking about Cleveland, like that sounds like the recipe for what they're probably going to do to Sexton is just like sit Caruso on him, send THT maybe at him, uh, you know, just like just try and run him ragged and either make him shoot over, like make him take difficult shots or kind of, you know, like force Cleveland to figure something else out. And it doesn't really sound like they have the shooting to take advantage unless they like get the magic potion that a lot of teams apparently get before playing the Lakers where they shoot like their best percentage from three of the year. Uh, And like the only thing that concerns me is you mentioning the zone and this team, we've seen them, you know, they do sometimes get bored in terms of attacking the zone. They're Mm -hmm. like, well, we're just going to take a three. Like we're just going to beat you over the top. We don't really want to do the work that we like would have to do to, beat this and you know do all the cuts and all that stuff and so like that is the one area of concern for me but like you know if LeBron LeBron hasn't been back to Cleveland in two years to play a basketball game and if he approaches his homecoming anything like Anthony Davis did last night like the Cavs are in trouble I did not realize that he's he's seriously gone two full seasons without playing a game in Cleveland wow no, so they went his first year in LA, but then last year that game was after the season got canceled, so he didn't get to go back. Uh, they apparently had like a big like homecoming thing planned for him, and like, like he was talking about this on road tripping. I think last year, if I remember correctly, it was either in a scrum or on road tripping or something. But um, hmm. he was talking about like you know there were some plans to like do some stuff, and uh, there was some kind of. I don't know if tribute or something planned for him and he didn't get to do that. And so like, you know, this will be, this will be in almost two years, his first time playing a game. And, in Cleveland. and yeah. without the fans too. So it might take until next season to get the really the full experience of that perhaps. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. It looks like next season at the earliest, mm-hmm. probably uh, the way things are going. Yeah. After he doubles his Cleveland uh, championship total, that'll be great. <laughs> I'm sure they'll be very, appreciative um look look it's it's the la sunshine okay it's like it's nothing it's nothing else it's just it's really easy to recruit guys to play in la all right Uh, the lakers have done nothing else right but their location guys come on we gotta remember he's just out here to make movies yeah no movies and he's out here to make documentaries about the championships he wins (laughs) (laughs) championship movies yeah yeah All right. Well, I think that's about enough time that I feel like we deserve uh, to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. But shouts to them. They are a young team. Uh, Sexland is a fun nickname. Those guys have been balling. Uh, Larry Nance has been a very, very good glue guy role player. Eventually, you know, eventually us there on Lakers Twitter will take our victory laps on all these young guys. Oh, wait, that's already happening literally every night. 
Um, no, it's anytime any of them play well, it's like, oh, Lakers scouts did it yeah. again. Like, well, not another team now, but yes, yeah. like, you know, no, they did it absolutely. again. Absolutely. No, look, Larry, yes. oh. Larry helped clear the path for LeBron, you know, like he, he was, uh, you know, he was part of it too. And like, like I will, I will always root for that guy. One of the nicest dudes like oh, yeah. I, I've ever covered. I, I remember I went to like a charity thing that he was doing at a boys and girls club. And like he did, we did like a whole, before we actually started talking about basketball stuff, I did like a whole mock post game interview about him losing in lightning to like a child. I mean, he clearly let him win, but like <laughs> I was giving him a, I was giving him a hard time. This is not like Larry Nance jr. Is such a bad shooter. He got beat by a child in lightning. I like he, he let him win, but like I, I was giving him a hard time about it and asking him really tough uh, post game questions and just a good dude, sense of humor. I really like Larry. Such a good dude. He's been doing, you know, every game he wears a new local t shirt yes, to so try cool. and help everyone out. Like he cares about people. He tries to make a difference and he's just an overall good dude. And shouts to him. He's playing some three this year. He's got a bunch of steals. He's kind of starting to expand his range. So just a, a valuable player that, you know, the Lakers, you know, ended up trading with Clarkson to end up getting that pick and, and Isaiah Thomas back. So kind of worked out for everybody. Can't complain too much, but Miss that guy. Uh, let's move on to the big matchup this week. I, there's two big matchups. We got the Celtics on Saturday. I think we're going to get to that on a, a Friday pod with just Tim and I. But no, you guys we'll got to do like a whole games. Celtic slander pod. Don't don't squeeze that in for the final five minutes here. Like, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, we, we that deserves its own lane for sure. But uh, a lower key rival of the Lakers, you know, go taking it way back. Uh, the Sixers. So they are doing really well this year. They've been a little bit ravaged by COVID and missing games. Uh, <laughs> Danny Green had to play like point Danny, like I'm the point guard and number one scorer guy, which was pretty hilarious. Uh, those were entertaining games, but they pulled out a lot of those. That was They're the most majestic thing I have ever seen was Danny Green dribbling <laughs> the ball up, throwing a lob to Dwight. It was like the most like slow, silted, like he looked like he was going to fall over the whole time. And like it somehow worked out like I'm play. here for point Danny. I hope they do it again. Like run it one or two plays a game. Like just the defense is going to be so confused. Like they've never seen someone dribble like this that, um, you know, like I, I honestly, I think it's a good look for Doc Rivers. He should keep going back to that. I like it. Yeah. So, so here's the, here's the status of the Sixers, right? They're 12 and five. They're up there uh, with the Lakers for one of the best records in the league. Uh, they have a 3.3 differential. They have a one six, oh, excuse me, a 111.6 offensive rating is good for 14th in the league. And they have a 108.4 defensive rating, which is seventh in the league. So, you know, maybe you could make an argument if they have a full squad, they're top 10 in both offense and defense. And we only, you know, there's only a few teams like that this year with the new look, uh, uh, lineup Tim with uh, Seth Curry out there and better spacing and Danny Green and a little bit more um, everyone pulling in the same direction with Doc Rivers. Do you think Philly is a particularly bad matchup? Because I have a little bit of concerns with Embiid time and again in the post, you know, his pump faking on Mark Gasol driving by him. I can see a world where Embiid has like a 42 point night against the Lakers coming up here. I think that's certainly possible. And we've spoken about the team's lack of big man depth more from an injury standpoint. If if we get a foul situation, we might run into that against Philly. They 
like you said, they've they've done a much better job in terms of roster construction. They have shooters left and right. Seth Curry, Milton's out there. Danny Green's been okay. Uh, he's had some better games, some not as good games. Um, Tobias Harris is still there. Ben Simmons has been more a defensive force than an offensive force. But Embiid is really that guy for them. And just a dominant post scorer. We haven't seen L.A. do much this season in terms of sending extra help to the post. On, on our defensive end, this might be one of those few games that you need to and then try to make Philly beat that, uh, prove that they can beat it because, hey, maybe they'll do nothing. Maybe they'll just stand around and it'll be uh, helpful for L.A. But, yeah, Gasol is going to be put on the coals and we're going to have to see how he holds up in the post. We may see a good bit of A.D. on Embiid as well. Uh, that's the scary matchup. On the other end of the court, it's interesting because the, the Sixers, Philly, will pretty much just let us do whatever we want in terms of posting up and isolating without sending help. They rarely will send extra help. So very unique in that respect. Um, We've seen LA have to face like one and a half guys or two guys in the post or in isolations. Philly just kind of lets you go to work. They also rarely switch defensively and defending ball screens. They're primarily a drop coverage and ice team. So we may actually get to see the LeBron AD ball screens working pretty well. Uh, I I think if Embiid is defending AD and you just want to run some cross screens or those slice cuts or those UCLA cuts we talked about and diagrammed on the stream stream the other day, those would probably work out pretty well because they're not going to switch those. You might have a second or two where AD is free. Just get him that ball inside. I liked how we started the last game where you LA started with like a down screen for him to run up to the elbow catch and then attack downhill. That might be a better way to get him attacking Embiid more in space rather than catching with his back to the basket and Embiid closing out behind him. Um, but you want to continue finding ways to keep AD involved and running him around some screens I think is a good way. I think LeBron may have a good day isolating um, and just if you can get any mismatches because MB's not going to play the whole game. If you get any mismatches, go after them in the post in isolation and and be running those ball screens. I think Schroeder could have a good day against drop coverage. That'll play more into him getting some of those open mid-range shots. Uh, it's it, I think it'll be a unique offensive game for LA compared to how we've seen other teams defend them, but it's still going to be a tough matchup. Um, they have a lot of good offensive and defensive options. Just, I don't know if you can stop those MB post-ups, you're in pretty good shape. Like Tim, one thing that I I'm curious about, is like, so the popular narrative with Casella was like, Oh, that's a guy that like, you know, if you meet the Sixers in the finals or you meet Denver in the playoffs or whatever, you throw him on Jokic, you throw him on Embiid, yep. And like, that is very much not how you were talking about him just now. So like, I guess I'm just curious, like, like as someone who listens to the pod was just listening to you, like, do you not feel like he can be like kind of a utility in those sorts of matchups this year, just with his size and what like bulk, like, cause to me, that feels like the, you know, just into, that feels like the type of matchup that he should be val- like most defensively valuable again. I mean, I understand, look, M- Embiid is like, I think has had as good of preseason MVP odds as LeBron. He's played great. I'm not saying, Mm -hmm. that like he's going to shut him down but Mm -hmm. isn't uh, like correct me if I'm wrong isn't that the kind of guy you would want to throw Gasol on versus you know some of these other smaller centers he is this is about as good a matchup Gasol is going to get based on how Philly likes to attack and like he's he is an elite post defender he is less mobile than some bigs out there thank you for for calling that out 
I think he's going to do as well as you can expect. He's certainly LA's one good option, but MB's just so good that, yeah. you know, in the background, if, if Philly were to win, and this is how I'm trying to think about things in my head, if they were to win, it would be get Mark in some foul trouble or for whatever reason, he's not looking all that good. But I expect him to be a strong post defender. I think Embiid will struggle a little bit, be a little less efficient, but he's still going to get plenty of volume. Um, and then when we talk about mobility and and LA defending ball screens, with Ben Simmons or with Tobias Harris, you can probably go under those and you may even just drop Gasol. I feel like you can go under screens on Ben Simmons. Yeah, I feel like that's I, I think so as well. Yeah, it's <laughs> from a pick and roll standpoint, we're going to see LA not all that challenged. Um, and that's the biggest action in the NBA right now. So if you don't have to worry about that all that much, it you're in, you're in much better shape. And we won't see Mark a little bit less out of his element there. We'll get to see him do what he's probably best at and good call out. Like he is the guy that LA brought in to be able to defend the Jokic's and the Embiid's of the world. Uh, those guys are just so damn good that, that, you know, I'm a little worried, but I think he should do well. No, I mean, it's like Dwight last year, right? Where it's like, it's one more big body to throw at guys like that. It's not necessarily like they were hoping, it's like six more fouls. It's like just not having to have AD do it the whole game, that type of thing. Cause yeah, like if Gasol gets in early foul trouble and like, you know, Lord help them if they decide to throw Trez out there and have him guard Embiid. Cause look like, oh, you know, I think yeah. there are things that Trez can do defensively, right? Like he's mm-hmm. shown that this year, but like he, he does have certain strengths on that end, but guarding Joel Embiid the way that he's playing right now is I'm going to say not one of them. I don't need to see the game. Um, I don't need to see any film whatsoever to know that that is going to be uh, a bad idea. Um, the the thing that I'm curious about for this game is like, you know, with Embiid kind of being one of the early guys that like, there isn't like a real MVP narrative taking shape yet, but like, you know, I've seen Sixers fans talking about Embiid. I've seen some national people mention him in the conversation as a guy that like could make a play for it this year with the way that he's playing. So like, I'm curious to see how LeBron approaches this game. Is it kind of like he went at Giannis and like really clearly wanted to make that Bucks game kind of a showcase for his like thing? Is this going to be another thing where he's like, okay, I want to beef up my records and my stats in matchups against these guys that, you know, voters are going Going to be looking back and remembering this game you know when they're maybe voting on this at the end of the year so and then ad2 for like his defensive player of the year candidacy or whatever like yeah. if he's going to get it going like you know this would certainly be a nice high profile uh game to really start that push in so tim i, I just quickly wanted to lay this out for you because i'm fascinated by these two starting lineups both teams have starting lineups with really really impressive positive numbers so the Sixers' starting lineup is simmons curry green harris and b that's a plus 19.8 okay they they have a they're in the hundredth percentile free throw rate, right? And that's going to be good for basically any joel and b lineup because he's so good at getting fouled and drawing those fouls but where do you see these matchups coming through? And I can see quite a bit of cross matchups, to be honest with you. Uh, if those, these teams are trying to you know, go boss to the wall and both win this, this game, who guards Simmons? Can, ND, can AD take a few possessions on Embiid? Does Embiid guard AD? Does Simmons guard LeBron? Who, who do you put on? You know, all these things are really interesting kind of, this is going to be a fascinating game because, uh, the, the Sixers turn turn you over quite well and they get out, right? They use that speed and they get easy buckets. How, how does these two starting lineups match up? And like, where do you see these, uh, these cross matchups coming into play? Yeah, so let's think about that. So Gasol will be on 
Embiid will have AD, I guess, guarding Tobias Harris, though I'm open to him guarding Ben Simmons. I don't know. Let's let me pull up how Simmons has been operating offensively because he hasn't been all that efficient this year. So it's not a case of like, oh, man, like we really need a a Simmons stopper. Um, I think as long as you don't let him attack downhill and transition, you'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah, he's in the 13th percentile as a pick and roll ball handler, 11th percentile finishing on dump offs, third percentile spotting up. I think a LeBron on him once you get into the half court could be good because that's LeBron's the type of guy that's really good at if if he knows you're not going to shoot well he'll help off of you and and rotate really well and be a help guy in the post blocking shots or defending at the rim and that could make some sense um so maybe you get like a a forward playing point guard against a forward playing point guard and defending each other perhaps um Seth Curry, just a spot-up shooter, I'm fine with KCP on him or Caruso if he's in there. Schroeder. Schroeder, yeah, yeah. I'd be fine with any of those options. Um, and then who's left? Tobias. While you think about Sim- that, I just want to point out that, like, you know, just as, look, as a clicks, like, viral engagement expert, whatever, on here, like, I just want to say, like, Tim, you need to, like, redo that part, and you just need to say that the Lakers need to hide LeBron on Simmons, like, just to give him a break <laughs> uh, defensively, and just, like, like, say it with a lot of conviction, and then we just clip that, and we tweet it out, it's like, you know, Lakers, Sixers, it's like, oh, you can hide LeBron on Simmons, and just, Yeah. We definitely need a copy editor, so we appreciate that uh, very much. I was going to say, like, maybe play KCP on Danny Green and just let him free safety around, you know, like patrol some of those passing lanes and 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 dig on on drives and stuff but i am going to crack up if the lakers really play off of danny green like you know after last year like like, there will be there there will be like a potent level of disrespect like if they put lebron on danny green and he just does the thing that he did in golden state when he was guarding draymond where he just stood there instead of closing out uh like i'm not gonna lie i am going to laugh even as a danny green defender like same same yeah, you don't have to guard Ben Simmons. You can hide LeBron on him and uh, <laughs> send a little bit of extra help at Embiid. Danny Green, I don't know the last time he hit a three. We'll uh, put KCP on him, but he can play free safety. And then, you know, just clip right it's The whole team, every, like five guys on Embiid and just like, yeah, just don't guard anyone else. That's the defensive game plan. Yep. All right, so Harrison, this, let's wrap this uh, Philly part of it up. Do you think this is uh, a matchup on tier with the Bucks, uh, and do you think the Lakers uh, will come out of this one on on top? I do think that they will win because, like, you know, everything that we're going through right now does kind of match like my kind of gut feel uh, of like this matchup, just like schematically, like eye test wise, and like knowing mm-hmm. who's on the team. Like, I just feel like the Lakers do match up pretty well with this team in terms of like having a couple guys that they can throw at Embiid. Like, I, I don't think the Sixers necessarily really have. Not that anyone has a LeBron stopper, but I don't think that they really yeah. have guys that are going to be able to do a whole lot against him. And like, if he comes out engaged, like again, like you know, Embiid. Embiid and uh, AD have had their battles in the past. So like that, that might be a standstill there, but I think LeBron is kind of the X factor here. And I, I do, I, I like what you said about like, this might be a good matchup for Schroeder to get going in the mid range or something like that. Like he does seem kind of due for a game like that at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you think about, so if they're going to refuse to switch and they do have several poor defenders that you could try to target if, if we were hunting, switches and and they'll concede like shake milton on lebron or seth curry on lebron but if they're not and they're choosing not to 
how can we take advantage of them being stubborn and trying not to switch and not give up those mismatches? And it could be things like those ghost screens where KCP runs up, sets a ball screen for LeBron, and then slips out of that and sprints to the three-point line. If they're not going to switch that and and they're still trying to contain LeBron, he might be wide open. So we might see him or, I don't know, AD cutting off of screens, attacking the rim or attacking down the hill off of a pin down. Those are all the types of actions that make sense given how Philly chooses to defend. And Harrison, to your point, like the Lakers talent-wise should be better than this team schematically it looks like they match up well from a matchup standpoint to Tom's point about the lineups. I think LA matches up as well as you can. They have a couple guys that they can throw at Embiid, And I think they're smart enough defensively to win in the margin. So it's not the, the game that screams to me that we're in trouble. You can still certainly lose this game. You still have to execute. You have to adjust to whatever their game plan is, but LA is set up well to, to continue winning these games and hopefully can keep that winning streak rolling. I know I made the joke about Danny earlier, but like, honestly, the funnier outcome is he goes off for like nine threes and Lakers Twitter has a complete meltdown. Like, <laughs> absolutely. Like absolutely. I'm not rooting like, for it, but like it, it, it would be great content. I'm just saying yeah. like, yeah, there's he, would, a he would have an all time. He would have an all time tweet after the game too. Absolutely. Danny Green, multi-time champion. You yeah. know, this guy, you know, say what you will, and people get dogged on him for missing the three, and, and who cares, right? He also had a lot of uh, great uh, moments with the Lakers and was a huge part of them winning that title. So No, they wouldn't have won that without Danny. He, he got dogged no. a lot, but like he, w- he was an important player for them in a lot of little ways. Like yeah. He was not worth $15 million, but that's what the market bared out that he was worth to them. And, uh, you know, like that's that's economics. And like, you know, he did help on that mm-hmm. run. Well, and he brought back Dennis Schroeder, right? Yeah. He was good enough to bring back a good player uh so maybe you know, his biggest shots- contribution when it's all said and done like we'll see how De- how dennis plays look man he got a tv show on spectrum like, that dude that dude's doing just fine yeah. so i respect to danny you know i i am not a hater uh big shouts to him he also spoke a lot about the bubble and i appreciated what he had to say about like the mental toll that he was going through that's not easy to say to anyone let alone the entire fucking world. So no. And like, like the, the, the stuff that his, his fiance had to deal with and that he had to deal with after missing that shot, it's like unacceptable. Awful. And yeah, it was awful. Um, it just, yeah. I mean, again, I know that that's not most Lakers fans. That's like a very vocal, insane minority. Um, but like, uh, you know, like Danny's a good dude. I always like, always appreciated his perspective. And I know that he didn't always like, you know, have amazing games on the court, but I do, he did help that team in a lot of ways. And, and like, and I always appreciated him as a person as much as I just made the jokes. For sure. I'm 100% going to clip this when he makes seven threes uh, <laughs> against the Lakers. Look, I could finally get a prediction right this year. Like, that's fine. I'm, I'm ready for it. Like, no, no, I totally see it coming. Like, he's going to go like seven for 10. It does like feel KCP inevitable did. now that I said it, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it does. All right, moving on quickly here. Uh, I know we're also excited for that matchup. Are you equally as excited for the. Detroit Pistons, <laughs> the three and thirteen, negative five differential, oh, uh, with the <laughs> with the 23rd offense in league, 107.5, and the 20th defense in league, 112.5. Tim, Jeremy Grant's having himself a season. Uh, he has quite the usage, though, but he is 
outperforming seemingly a 20 million per year contract, uh, at least from my perspective and having a really good start this year. I, I don't want to spend too long. We're already over an hour, but what, what's the MO on this team, Tim? Like I, you know, I love following Duncan Smith. He's the Pistons writer and, and writes for hoops habit all about the league. And my big takeaway from him is that this team is awful, but they try. So to me, that yeah, that is a trap game. That is the classic. Like they don't have talent, but you catch them on a bad night. These guys, you know, just not taking it seriously. It doesn't seem to be the case for the Lakers, but it's possible. And right? look, it's trying, possible. Trying is not nothing. We watched a lot of bad Lakers teams that were bad and didn't try. So like, you know, true. respect to the Pistons for trying. True. It's true. <laughs> But like Blake Griffin and like following Duncan, Blake Griffin is just like not shooting anymore. And like 60% of his threes or excuse me, 60% of his shots are threes. Like he doesn't attack the rim. He, he just spaces. This is my read from just kind of following Duncan all season is like Blake didn't take a shot until like the middle of the third quarter the other night. Uh, so it's just a little bit like kind of a weird team here, Tim. But what's your takeaway from this matchup? There's such a weird bad team. I don't I, I can't I cannot define a path for victory for Detroit. This is this is difficult. <laughs> they're not they're not very good. They have Josh Jackson, who we know I like, uh, but but they're wasting him away, not getting him good scoring opportunities. I just pulled up Blake Griffin's synergy profile. He runs ball screens as his third most used play type, apparently. I did not realize he was such a frequent uh ball screen runner so maybe that can add some weird well look when you when the entire rest of the roster is center somebody's like got to handle the ball you know like yeah it's true and related to that they have the third worst ball screen offense in the NBA. (laughs) (laughs) Um, i don't this team isn't very good they're they'll try hard but they don't have a lot of talent i don't think they've set themselves up well to like scheme their way into points given some of the skill sets they have on the court uh, Blake Griffin's like fourth in offensive possessions for them. So he's not even really running the show. It's very much Jeremy Grant doing his thing. Yeah. Uh, and what he's been effective at this year has been spotting up and isolating. So you don't really like to, to spot up. You need someone else to create something. And I guess that becomes Derek Rose and against LA's catch hedges. I, I don't know. I, I'd live with these guys trying to beat us in the short roll or see if they can scheme around how to beat our catch hedges. Cause I'm not sure if they can. And if they can, just start switching things. And I don't know if these guys can beat you and ISO either. So it's going to take a lot not going the Lakers way for this one to not uh, end up in our favor. But this this may be similar to that Chicago game. I don't know. This has a feel of LeBron rests. You know, they've got like a four game week. I have no evidence or anything I'm, I'm bracing that off of other than. Why not? Like the first time they played the Bulls, AD, you know, it was a little nicked up. So they rested him. It's also the second night of a back to back too. like to your point, like, you know, maybe maybe after a big game in Philadelphia, like this this could be a THT game, like uh, uh, unleash Kaycock, let let Kostas get some Mm -hmm. run like, you know. Right. And you just yeah, you live with the the winner loss, although you still probably are expect to win uh if you don't it's it is what it is and and you you know maybe go five and two six and one on a seven game road trip and you call it a day and i think you're probably pretty happy with that as an organization this this is a team that i would pick on 2k to be the gm of because it's just such a mess right now 
This this is just like when I play 2K, I no, don't really play cap, online. Their or cap sheet sucks. I know. Their it, cap sheet sucks too. Yeah, so it's, it's not like they can just tank and get all the picks in the next five years. Yeah. Their cap sheet sucks. My favorite thing to do on 2K is do the franchise mode, pick one of the worst teams in the worst situations I can find and try to rebuild it. And this this is a candidate. <laughs> and I don't think I'd realized Ouch. it quite until right now. So who would you b- keep to build around Svi Mikhailuk? <laughs> Go around Svee? Uh, How goodness. is Svee doing this year? Like, I'm like, uh, tell me he's shooting like forty percent. Like, I want to see, I, I like, I want to see our son, you, you know, flourish. Absolutely, he's thirty third percentile spotting up. Uh, oh man, he's Bummer. he's been good on pin downs, but they haven't used him all that much in those. He hasn't well. I'm gonna blame the Pistons. Like this isn't this isn't Sfee's fault. Like they they need to get they need to get him to an NBA team so that he can flourish. Yeah. The, so a younger guy they did just get Killian Hayes. They may choose to build around. He's scoring 0.49 points per possession. He's shooting 13 for 47 this year, which is yeah. He's out. That's hard. It's hard to do that. He he'll probably get better as he ages, but that is not a not a great start for him to his career. Yeah, I don't know who you oh, build around Svee this McKay- group. Yeah, Svee's effective field goal percentage is 51.1. For a three-point shooter, that is um, not good. Well, oh, well. Uh, I mean, look, you can't you can't get them all, you know? Like, most of the Lakers' young guys have panned out, I guess. Uh, maybe this is uh, – this. maybe it's – look, maybe it's going to take him to, like, his, like, third or fourth team or something, like Jordan Clarkson, to really, like, become, like, a super helpful NBA player. Uh, but, like, Tim, you know, I, I guys, first of all, I don't have a lot of thoughts on Pistons' 90 centers yeah. and, you know, like, <laughs> what the Lakers can do to lose this game beyond not trying. Um, but, like, Tim, I, I mean, the only reason – look, you make a compelling case to run the Pistons um but I'm just not sure if you could give a quote as good as Troy Weaver gave the other week oh, yeah. uh, did, did you guys did you guys I read this one that. when when I was the growing roller coaster up, one yeah on his aggressive hold on this is Troy okay. Weaver on his aggressive approach to building the Pistons when I was growing up I didn't stick my toe in the pool. I jumped in. I sit at the front of the roller coaster with my hands up. I'm not going to come in and be gun shy. My clip will be empty. Oh mixing metaphor talk about mixing metaphors Look, like, I, I don't know if he's a good gm but i want to run with through a wall for that guy like maybe he should be the head coach you know like oh my goodness it sounds like the lions uh new coach okay <laughs> coach. we're gonna get up and bite your kneecap and then you're gonna knock us down and we're gonna get up and we're gonna eat something else we're gonna bite your other kneecap <laughs> off and yeah Look, man, I guess I appreciate people who try to be the rah-rah guy and and it works for some and and probably others just roll their eyes at it. But they're trying, I guess. I I don't know. I just love that the man who signed like a Plumlee brother to like a $20 million deal is like my clip will be empty. Like, yeah, we know. We you just you used it all on a Plumlee brother. I still don't remember which one, but (laughs) and right after that, like he had a quote where he came out, he's like, Yeah, I actually no, like I unironically actually do love centers yeah it's like yeah, and then as, like, as their best center like christian wood flourishes in houston you know like right yeah right yes yeah. yeah. and they have this number that they just for whatever reason won't go over but yeah they give mason Plumley all these oh my god this the is key to denver's playoff distance. run clearly yeah i tom do you remember that fantasy basketball league we did last year 
with like Flea was in it and, and some other random people. Yeah. I wanted to get weird in the draft and I drafted all centers and I ended up dead last. Um, <laughs> this, this has that kind of vibe to it. I'm not making a good case for the, the two case. I mean, now you're, this is maybe your best case to run the Pistons. You do the exact same thing. Like, uh, I was like, I don't think this is going to work, but I haven't prepared at all for this draft. I'm just going to try to do something funky and see what happens. And it didn't work. I will say, okay, so on Sfi's behalf, I will defend Sfi a little bit. With him being such a high-volume spot-up guy, I would imagine on this team, given what they're doing, who they have, what the plays are running, he's not getting high-quality looks. So Probably when not. we run our b-ball index numbers and we look at not just like here's your three-point shooting percentage, but how is your shot making relative to the degree of difficulty, I wouldn't be surprised if that looks a little bit more respectable than just his raw three-point percentage. That, Fair enough. Always good to remember that context there. That's all I got. Yeah, I, I, look, I just I just want the the greatest like uh, Lakers draft workout participant in NBA history or in Lakers history. Uh, you know, I just want to see him succeed. So I'm glad to hear that there that it's not his fault. It's on the Pistons. It's all I just heard right there. Absolutely. No, I I 100 percent still root for all, if not uh, many, if not all of these former Lakers um, hoping to see these guys succeed because, you know, that's the way the Lakers are. They take care of each other. But um, they're Harrison. Thank you so much, man. I don't know. I I feel like I got nothing else to go. I, I could ask you a bunch more questions. So we're going to have to have you back soon and uh, might have to steal you on your day off for a stream if possible. That could be super fun. Yeah, that'd be really fun. I, I'd definitely be up for that. Like, I mean, I don't know if I can uh, like keep up with Tim on the whiteboard or whatever, but, you know, I'll crack some jokes. I'll, I'll keep them in here instead of my Twitter. And, you know, that, that that'd be fun. I'd definitely be up for that. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so who, which one of you is Mark Jackson, which you can figure out between yourselves, you know, who's going to go on the diatribe about like FedEx no, in the I, third I feel quarter. Like, you can I feel like I would definitely figuring. be Mark Jackson in this case, as much as I don't enjoy <laughs> okay. listening to him. Cause like Jeff Van Gundy at least tries to somewhat keep the focus on the game. Most of the time, like it's funny whenever Mark Jackson isn't in there, Jeff's actually a great analyst, but like, it's like when Mark Jackson is there with him, he's like trying to like out joke him, even though Mark Jackson isn't funny. Money? like and you know like I, I just feel i feel like tim would be like jeff van gundy where like he's really focused on the broadcast when like you guys are doing it together and then like i'm gonna come in and i'm gonna be saying all kinds of weird shit and like you know just totally mess it up but i'm down to try it can be like a bill walton dave pash kind of situation but a little bit more random. yeah that'd be really fun i'll just i'll just you know like i'll, I'll do an edible beforehand and you know we'll, we'll have a blast <laughs> You got a tie-dye fedora? You can, I can I can make one. Look, we got nothing That's but right. time in quarantine. You can spend five minutes telling fedora. us about the merits of Detroit as a city, not as a basketball team, and, and the state yes. of Michigan. And I'll talk about Sfi McKayluk, the greatest history, the greatest shooter in the known universe. <laughs> like, you know, I'm re- I'm ready for this. Harrison's like, and Anthony texted me at 4 a.m. Why you texted me at 4 a.m.? What you uh, text me at 6 a.m.? I'll be awake. You know, it's anyway. funny. He does sometimes text me at 4 a.m. because he forgets <laughs> that time differences are a thing and that I don't oh, have a child man. to wake me up at 6 a.m. my time. And so, uh, yeah. Well, you do in your own way. Okay, getting <laughs> out of here. Thank you again, Harrison, so much, man. Your coverage, I uh, really do, again, appreciate you asking Vogel about the lineup of meh. You have uh, done a great job to shepherd our questions to the source of Lakers decision-making, and I am grateful uh, for you doing that because it is it is a uh, cross to bear. 
No, look, that's all I want to do. I want to be the Tim translator into scrums. Like, I'll just like, I'll, I'll take his question. I'll, like, I'll take his analysis of like this thing that's horrible and whatever, and like try and phrase it in a way that Vogel won't ki- want to kill me next time. I would love to know more about how the team analyzes the plays they run and if they have any internal tracking on what works and doesn't work. Because if they don't and you ask that, he might be like, oh, you know what? That's a good idea. And then, you know, somehow I think that they've they, probably thought they of should, that already, but like they run some places. I like that you're like, yeah, you work. know, like I, I probably thought of this thing that the Lakers coaching staff hasn't thought of yet. Like, <laughs> this is why I appreciate you. Classic Tim. I just it's hate not that one. It's not Luke and the frat boys anymore. Okay. Like they like this is like this is an NBA coaching staff. You're, you're right. You're right. They just run that one play that I just despise so much. They were, did run good counters to it last night. That one like handoff with three screens that we used to run with Avery Bradley and KCP last year that a hundred percent of the time ended up with their pet. I feel like every NBA coach has their pet bad play that that, like they want it to work because they thought of it, but it's just not working. Like I think every coach at every level uh, level has that. So bad Tim. Okay. We're going to argue about this again because (laughs) it's it's not a bad play. play. And you, and you, you just, you're you're seeing through the hate, Tim. You need to blind embrace out. your Lakers exceptionalism, Tim. Everything they run Thank is you. good. That's right. That's right. With that, I can't think of a better out. Thank you again, Harrison. Tim, I will catch you on a stream soon, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks a lot. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.